This is The Bouquet Toss, a wedding planning podcast brought to you by TheBudgetSavvyBride.com to help you decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. Welcome back to The Bouquet Toss. So it's no lie that slashing your guest list can yield savings, but don't pull out your red pen just yet. Your headcount may affect your budget, but the number of guests you invite doesn't always dictate how much you'll spend. Tiny budgets and large guest lists are not mutually exclusive. However, the more people you host, the further you'll need to stretch your money. Keeping things intimate could allow you to treat your guests to a nicer experience, but a smaller wedding doesn't always guarantee a lower cost. So Jess, with that in mind, how do you go about figuring out your guest list? Yeah, I think this is one of the things that couples stress about the most because there's so much personal, relational dynamics and pressure at play. So luckily, we have some tips to share to, you know, help couples walk through this process and some questions that they can ask themselves that help make the elimination process a little bit more black and white, I guess. I like that. So let's go through some of these questions. Keep in mind that a lot of these things get a little bit more complicated with COVID and we will discuss that. But here's six questions that you can start with when you're considering whether or not this person makes the cut. So the first is, have you and your partner spoken to this person in the last year? That's a pretty like easy yes or no question to answer. It is, but don't you feel like with COVID, it feels like it's been 10 years and one year at the same time. I mean, I think that you're right that if you still haven't spoken to them in a year, it's like COVID or not, they probably don't make the cut. Right. Yeah, definitely keeping COVID in mind, it does add a little more nuance to that that question in particular, but... Yeah. So segueing into the next question, do we have a close personal or family connection with this person? And I think that also, you know, like there may perhaps be someone you haven't spoken to, but that you do have a family connection with that, you know, you might not have answered yes to question one, but you might be answering yes to question two. And we'll get into all this fun stuff. But if you have help paying for the wedding, maybe your parents even have a list of their own that they would like to pay for and invite, then those people would end up making their list. Right. Yeah. A lot of this is so dependent upon your circumstances and the financiers of of your particular (laughs) wedding. Right. So number three is, will not inviting this person cause any sort of family or personal drama? It's It's a heavy question, I think, to consider because there's some people who will, you know, respectfully be understanding about the decisions that you make. And there are others, we all have them in our lives, who might make a bit more of a splash about it. So absolutely. And, you know, ultimately, it matters how you and your partner feel. But there will be a lot of opinions at play about whether or not some people are on the list or not. And so is the cost of cutting them from the list, does that outweigh the cost of dealing with the repercussions of all the issues that come up with people being upset that they're not there? Maybe not. Right. So number four, will this person make our wedding more fun? And I love this one. I love being able to think like, who are the people you want around you? Who are the people that contribute to the vision that you have and make it everything that you want it to be and make it come alive? 
Yeah, the good the good vibes. You're good vibes only, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who are your good vibes? So, and then number 5, will this person be part of our life as a couple? And I think that is really important because there's obviously people that you know from your whole length of your life. There's people that your partner knows, but are they going to be people that either do know you as a couple or will know you as a couple? Right. Do you see yourself continuing to spend time with them in the near and distant future throughout your life and your marriage? Right. And then number six is, are we considering inviting this person out of any feelings of obligation or guilt? I love this question. I mean, you got to be real because like the answer to that for some people will be yes. And that's okay. But that's something you need to consider. It kind of ties into question three about like, if you don't invite them, will it cause any drama? <laughs> and those tend to be the guests that, you know, are kind of referred to as like obligation guests. Right. And so you could decide up front, we want no obligation guests. We're keeping this very, very intimate. It's us and closest family and maybe a few friends and efficient, or maybe it's even smaller than that. And in that case, I think that does make it really easy for you to figure out the yes pile and the no pile will be much clearer. I think it's when you have, when you go out to say, I think we're going to do this like mid-sized thing that you're easily seeing that your list can just keep growing and growing because it's very hard to delineate who makes the cut for that versus who doesn't. Yeah, it really a lot of it too depends on what stage of life you're in. You know, if you're pretty freshly out of college, you know, and you're still very like enmeshed with the group of people that you hung out with, you know, at university, like it might be one of those things where you feel like, oh, if we invite couple A, couple B is going to feel left out if they're not also included, you know, so it's, it's one of those things that you kind of have to take it into account. You have to take your overall budget and vision into account. And sometimes it, it does involve making some like tough decisions, but yeah, you know. So one of the things that I have heard a lot of like friends who are planning weddings thinking about, especially with COVID and with it having postponed people's weddings one, two, three, maybe four times. So what are your thoughts on if you were invited to their wedding, does that mean that they are then automatically invited to yours? I don't think so. I don't think it has to be like a direct one-to-one, -one, you know, especially if they're in different financial circumstances than you. I mean, you, you have to be, you know, realistic and not compromise the vision that you and your partner have set. And of course, like, it's easy to say like, oh yeah, like we should invite them because they invited us. But how many people does that apply to? And how quickly can that one couple turn into an extra dozen people? Are they a gateway guest? <laughs> a gateway guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really important to just like remind people. It's it's like an obvious thing to say, but I think everybody needs to feel that support that there are going to be people that are tough decisions. And even if you went to theirs and whether it was two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, like things like that make a big difference. And when you first were mentioning, like, you know, I don't think you have to, my, my gut feeling was like, okay, but then maybe like, do you think you have to say something? Like, we had such a great time at your wedding, but 
we're doing something XYZ size. And so we're really looking to cut, you know, is it better to say something like that? There's so much nuance, I think, in these situations, you know, it's like, it depends on, I guess, the size of wedding that you're planning, you know, if they're like one lone couple that kind of gets cut out of a, a larger group of friends like that can feel a little bit, you know, not nice for that, that particular guest. But, you know, if you truly are just doing something really small and simple and scaled back and they can see that visually, like as proof once the wedding happens, and I think they would be more understanding. So it's tricky to navigate. You have to kind of go with your gut on this stuff and, and take those personal relationships into account and consider how close you are with that person. If you're really close to them, it would be a no brainer that they would be invited, right? But if you're kind of second guessing it, then maybe that's your answer. I like that. I also think that you make a great point, you know, if inviting somebody is not immediately obvious to you, but you are doing something that is really much smaller and, you know, like you do not need to apologize for not reciprocating a big wedding that they can also come to. If you do decide our wedding looks different than that, just because somebody invited you to theirs and you went and it was a bigger thing doesn't mean that there has to be this tit for tat type of situation. And you definitely don't have to feel bad that you're not throwing a shindig for them to attend. Like they're going to tons of other runs like that. You're not responsible for making that for everyone. For sure. So I know all of this, you know, is very subjective. There's lots of things that will go into it, but I feel like one of the biggest questions is what is the deal with plus ones people want there to just be rules like if the people if the couple is cohabitating or if they're engaged or if you've met their you know significant other or stuff like that and and I think people just want there to be rules so that they don't have to make them themselves but the hard truth here is that you you do make the rules yeah your day your way yeah so Things that will help you when deciding on these plus one things is, you know, is this person traveling? Because both while, you know, like if they're traveling a long distance, could be nice for them to have somebody to come with them. And, you know, do they know other people at the wedding or will they kind of just be on their own? Because then it might really be nice for them. But then at the same time, that is extra cost on their end if it's two people flying or, you know, and traveling and all of that. So, you know, not only are they traveling, but who else will they know there? And then also their relationship status. I think that does make a difference. I think that if you actively know that they don't have somebody in their life, like I don't think you're obligated to give that plus one, but I think you have to consider the circumstances of the other people they would be interacting with. And if everybody else is going to be there with a partner, then it is kind of like a courteous type of thing to to extend. Yeah. It's hard when those plus ones can have that effect where giving one person the plus one turns into like a dozen extra people when you apply that rule across like a group of single guests. 
So you really have to kind of weigh it out, but I definitely think being considerate of the people who are traveling and, um, you know, if maybe they don't know a lot of the other people who are going to be at the wedding, if you know them from like a completely separate area of your life, that's something to kind of keep in mind. But I know other, other times couples will set rules like, you know, obviously only for people who are in a long-term relationship, like a year or more or if they're living together, or obviously if they're married or engaged, like those people kind of tend to automatically get a plus one. But, you know, it really becomes tricky when you have a lot of single friends. But if they all know each other, then what what's the problem? I don't know. It's a tough thing to navigate. And of course, you have to consider like that person's feelings and how they're going to feel most comfortable on the day of as well. Yeah, I think it also very much depends on the kind of reception you're throwing because if it's a situation where you're doing a sit-down dinner, right? And so you're making tables and the tables are comprised of like couple, 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 couple. And then you just have like that one person that's part of the friend group that's there by themselves. That's pretty sucky. (laughs) So (laughs) giving them the option and even like having an open dialogue with them to say like, would you rather have somebody that you can bring or would that be more stressful trying to figure out who to bring if you're doing something that's not with like so much assigned seating and you know less of that like formality then it really is not putting that on like uncomfortable thing on them because it's not so like sit with your life partner and everybody (laughs) you know I think it does really make that difference depending on like the type of event that you're like the type of vision you have and like the feeling you want everybody to feel there right And, you know, at the end of the day, like if you offer, you know, if you invite a guest who is single and you don't offer them a plus one, they can decline to attend if they don't feel comfortable at the end of the day. You know, I think one of the things that we always try to encourage couples to think about is what is best for you and your personal situation and your budget and not letting a lot of these things add extra pressure or influence you to make decisions that aren't in alignment with those bigger vision goals for your wedding day. So everyone has the ability to opt out of your invitation. So in some cases, I think maybe even taking a harder stance and being not, not mean about it, but being a little less apologetic about your stance on why you've made the decisions that you have. I mean, I love that. I think press pause, rewind and replay that. (laughs) (laughs) Like that is so big. There's so much, I feel like just pressure that comes with planning a wedding because it's also like you're throwing an event, right? You're like, it feels very much like you're also like making this big thing for your community, which in ways you are, but in other ways, if you come back to the kind of the why that we like to talk about of why you're having a wedding. If your why is more so to celebrate the union between you and your partner and less so to like subsidize a party for your community and your family and your friends, then it it, it will feel easier to be able to say, you know what, actually we need these rules. We have too many people that could possibly double with having plus ones. So we're going to say they've been together for X amount of time, they live together, whatever, or if we've met them. Like, you know, there's another part of, and especially with COVID, sometimes you might get invited to a wedding that is your really close friend, but your partner never met them. From personal experience, you know, like I went to weddings with my partner where because of COVID, literally we're not seeing people, you know, we're not, you know, so I had never met the bride 
Yeah. But right. And like, I think that's happens COVID or not, but that's a very common thing. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it matters what kind of celebration you're looking to create and then what kind of experience you want your guest to have. So true. And then I always like, I feel a lot of couples, especially brides, get caught up in the plus one situation for their bridal party, you know, like the girls who are pretty much their entire day is taken up with getting ready and the ceremony and sitting together with the bridal party at the reception in a lot of cases at a head table. Does it even make sense to worry about plus ones for those people in certain cases? You know, that's a big question I think a lot of people have. I'm so glad you brought this up because I do feel like there's a big tendency to want to have your bridal party feel like they have their own people there. But out of all the guests there, they're the ones that are so busy that especially if their plus one doesn't know anybody, it's like, what do you, what do they do all day? (laughs) You know, like the logistics there are actually really important in figuring that out. You know, sometimes when you do have a bridal party and you're matching up people from like, you know, one side and the other to maybe walk down the together or sometimes a lot of couples want to have an even amount on one on partner one side as they do on partner two and so for those within that that don't have a person that's already coming it can really feel like oh I I have to give them but I think talking to them about it would make the most sense first because there's nothing worse than being the plus one of a bridal party member <laughs> and standing alone. Like, and I mean, I don't know, I've never done it, but <laughs> like, that seems like a nightmare to have to be like, you don't know anyone and they're busy doing all these duties the whole time. Yeah, I've been on both sides of that, you know, situation. And I agree. It's like, what's even the point? Like, I barely saw, you know, my partner that day anyway, because I was so busy being a bridesmaid or whatever the case was. So yeah, I think it's important to keep it in mind, for sure, when making these decisions. Yeah, I like that. When it comes to wedding invitations, you've likely debated whether to go online or IRL. Well, Greenvelope may just help you make that decision easier. Greenvelope's online wedding invitations save trees while saving you stress. But the best part is that they are easy on your budget without sacrificing anything when it comes to style or quality. If you're dreaming of invitations with high-end styles and printing processes like laser cut or letterpress, you know that can be super expensive. The good news is Greenvelope's digital invites can make those dreams a reality, giving you these amazing, sophisticated designs for a fraction of the cost. Not only do they do invites at Greenvelope, but they have thousands of beautiful designs for everything wedding related, from engagement announcements to save the dates to thank yous and beyond. So give your wallet and the earth a gift and get your savvy wedding invitations from Greenvelope today. Another one that similar to plus ones is like the age old question, whether or not to have kids invited to your wedding. Whew, this is such a controversial topic. It's like always a, a talking point, right? Seriously, I think it's one of those things where there are some people who very distinctly are like, nope, this is going to be a party with alcohol, with a late night and and they just do not see kids fitting into that vision. And in some ways that can make it easier because then it's like across the board, you're telling everybody, no kids. It does also make it hard when 
all of the potential babysitters for those kids are at the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) So that it's like, you're leaving them having to find, you know, somebody to watch all of them. But I do also think that there are plenty of people that when they envision their wedding, those kiddos that they're really close with are there. And don't forget that you could have kids at your ceremony and not at your reception. This is very true. And, you know, lots of couples will, you know, even hire a nanny to keep a like a kid's room where the kids can be occupied a- apart from the reception area. So there are ways to like get work around it or make it work for you. But adding kids into the mix or making a rule that you don't want kids at all, a lot of it obviously can depend on those extra expenses like having childcare available to your guests so they can enjoy the party without their kids or even considering the meals that you'll have to provide for the kids in addition. So lots of stuff to consider. Yeah. It's also like if you're asking the parents to travel to come to the wedding, then it is hard to say, but don't bring your kids Mm -hmm. and make sure you've got everything set up for them at home and you'll be away from, you know. So that idea of having somebody like on site to be the babysitter for the day for like just the kids in a kid's room, I think is brilliant. But then this is also another thing where like they might be saying, you know what, actually we really want an adult trip away from them for a little bit. And this is a great excuse to have it. So feeling like you can talk to these people about it, I think is important. I feel like there's this pressure to have to like have the rules made so that you can just like tell everybody and not have any issues. But I personally think you want to get the opinions of those people and really hear what they feel about it before you decide what you think is best for them. Yeah, of course. I think so much of it too depends on the people you have in your close circle and if they have kids or not. You know, you might not be in this situation where it's something that is a big issue among your group of potential guests, but for others, you know, I I've seen like all out arguments and like wars almost going back and forth about this stuff as if um implying that the couple doesn't care about the parents and like isn't considering them at all and at the end of the day like the wedding day is about the couple and of course they want their people who they love to be there to celebrate with them but I don't know there's a certain amount of sacrifice involved in that to attend a wedding no matter what and like respecting the couple's wishes you know I don't I don't know I I can't find a coherent like way to wrap that up but yeah I think the reason that you can't is because there's really not one Like this is so dependent on so many factors that there's never going to be like a hard and fast piece of advice that we can give that's going to make it easy for anybody. But I think you're right. Like coming back to that main central point of this being about you and your partner, like rather than this being about anybody else, I think that does help. It's always going to be hard to make these decisions, especially with other people's opinions and not wanting to hurt feelings. And, you know, look, most people know you have the best intentions when you're figuring this out, but there's real things like your budget and numbers and logistics and things that really play into it that sometimes make it hard. Another thing that kind of gets like wrenched in this situation is parents specifically having people that they want to invite. Sometimes couples will make a rule for the number of people that their parents can invite. I think it gets really tricky because this is very often one of those places where they'll say, oh, well, we'll pay for them. They're our guests. 
and having like, you know, we talked about this in the last two episodes with budget, you know, having other people contribute is wonderful, but it does come with a lot of circumstance and strings attached. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you don't want to have to say, no, you can't invite them if they're being like, oh, we're going to pay for them. But at the same time, is it for you and your partner for those people to be there? Or is it them returning the courtesy of like, they were invited to that person's kid's wedding. And so now they want to return the favor. Right. Ugh. I, I feel like it's it's such a tricky thing to navigate. And at the end of the day, like, you kind of have to come to an agreement on those decisions with your parents, like depending on how much monetary uh, assistance they are providing. I I wasn't in that position. So I can, you know, I can admit like I didn't have to have those conversations as much. So it can be a whole different ballgame when the families are funding a big portion of the wedding. One thing that I would suggest for couples who might be in this position is, you know, trying to at least come to some sort of agreement with your parents about maybe some some rules where that's concerned as well. Like if you've never met these friends, why would they come to your wedding? Mm-hmm. That's that's like a dinner party for your parents, like showing off to their friends who've never even met you before. Like, what's the point of that? Right. So that's real. I mean, obviously, it depends on people's background. If they're like Richie Rich and their parents are like business people and they're like, oh, and invite my business associate. Like, no, take them <laughs> out to a business dinner. Do not invite them to my wedding. Like, right. You're you allowed know. to say that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No matter what, we'll keep coming up with possible scenarios of things that will happen and a bunch of different ways that you can handle it. So, We're not trying to provide hard and fast answers here. We're just kind of opening the space to talk about it. But the good news is that there's so many virtual options now that actually make it possible to have more people and not that they didn't exist pre-pandemic, but they're normalized. So you could have a live stream option that's allowing way more people to be, you know, included in the festivities, but not actually be on site, that could be a perfect way for you to say, you know, we do, it's not that we don't want you there, but we have a limited number of in-person capacity. Yeah. And that's also an option to provide people who, you know, if you do decide you don't want kids at your wedding and you have friends who don't want to travel to attend a wedding without their children, they can still view the ceremony and and participate in that aspect and send their wishes from afar. You know, I think at the end of the day, anybody who truly cares about you and knows that you have the best of intentions with what you're planning for your day based on your personal values, priorities, budget, etc. They will be understanding and respectful and be willing to celebrate you however they are able to. And if they're not, then you probably don't want them at your wedding anyway. The other thing that this just keeps making me think about is the benefit of having more than one celebration. Yeah, And I'm not trying to be like, oh, now you have to have like seven parties because money. But even just hearing you say like, maybe not have them at your wedding, like your wedding being this all encompassing one time, one day event is so high pressure. I just keep coming back to, we had Caroline Credenberg from Wedfully on the podcast in previous episode. And she talked about how her ideal 
would be to have several small celebrations in different locations because some people she knows from home, some people she knows from college, you know, same with her partner. The idea that you don't have to do everything in the same place at the same time, I think is so helpful and so freeing. And the pandemic really did make that accessible to so many people, whether it was like a small ceremony that happened and then a year later they did a big party or something like that. But this is definitely fitting with the no rules thing. And so if you're finding it very difficult to have all the people you love in one place at one time, maybe that's not the best option. And maybe there's more creative ways that you can have separate celebrations with those groups. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, as any 2020 (laughs) and 2021 couple can probably relate to, especially those who had to reschedule or maybe did a mini a mini money and then a full reception later when restrictions lessened. Both of those events were meaningful and amazing for different reasons. And so why not have some smaller scale parties for multiple groups of people? Like, I love the idea of a wedding tour if you can still make it work within your your overall budget. And it does feel like a lot less pressure on one single day. Absolutely. I know we talked about this in the very beginning of the episode, but I want to come back to that idea that a tiny budget and a large guest list are not mutually exclusive. We are featuring a wedding on the blog, and I actually like had to go back and double check with this bride to make sure that the numbers were correct because (laughs) it was like over 100 people and the cost was so low. I think it was like a 2K wedding. Wow. And I was like, is this real? (laughs) <laughs> How does that work exactly? Did they get everything for free? Like everything I mean, a gift? What? <laughs> they only did a cake and punch reception. So okay. they were not serving a meal. Their venue was their church and it was free. The cake, which they did serve to over a hundred people was a gift. Okay. So, I mean, I was shocked too, but I was like, wait, whoa. <laughs> And I think that puts in perspective the idea that just because you do want to have a lot of people there doesn't mean it has to be under the condition that they're getting a sit-down meal and there's entertainment and there's all this stuff. There's options. There's ways to do it. And then on the flip side, you could have six people go to a destination wedding and it could cost more than 100 people having cake. Yeah. And that's okay too, but... The idea that they're not mutually exclusive, I think, is big. It all comes back to the vision. And then I think it's really important, you know, you you say this all the time, and I love the way you frame it. The more people you have, the more mo- your money has to stretch. And so thinking about the kind of experience you want to be providing, the kind of experience you want to have for yourself too, you know, it can be an elevated thing with less people. Like that's just the math of it. And so giving yourself that permission to make those choices and to follow that vision, if that's you know really what you want, is so important. And then maybe you could have this option, like you have, maybe you get married, you have like 20 to 30 people at like a nice sit down dinner type thing, but then you have a big cake and punch dance reception the next day. You get the best of both worlds. Like there's, there's just, the options are there. And if you're creative and you're, you're leading with what it is that you want. I don't know. I just think that there's, there's a more freedom in it than most people think. Yeah, definitely. That sound means it's time for Wedding Watch, a 
segment of the Bouquet Toss where we discuss iconic wedding moments from our favorite TV shows and movies. If you want to hit pause and watch the clip we're talking about today, head to our Wedding Watch playlist on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Today's Wedding Watch is Twilight. Yes, would you consider yourself a a twihard? <laughs> I don't know if I'm a twihard, but like I like I read all the books, watched all the movies, like definitely a fan. I feel like the Twilight Wedding became one of those iconic wedding inspiration things. The way that Bridgerton was, like having a Bridgerton inspired wedding, Twilight was the the themed you know, piece of pop culture for a while. Flowers and like twinkly lights. Like it definitely inspired like an aesthetic at that time, I think. We can't really get away without saying this up front. Not a savvy wedding. <laughs> the Collins are like magically rich. And yes. to get that look, it's not going to be the most budget conscious choice, though it is spectacularly beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about generational wealth, this family, these are vampires. They've been alive for how many years? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't compare your budget to them. (laughs) Yes, you can't. And then I I'm, I'm sitting here watching this clip and I'm like, this girl, Bella has like zero friends. How many friends does she actually have? Like two, two, maybe Anna Kendrick. And there's so many people at that wedding. (laughs) They're all like, strangers to her but obviously the groom's family is paying so they can invite whoever they want yeah that is really interesting also I think it's so funny because yes there's like a very large crowd behind them but a whole minute almost of this clip is them making out and the camera circling them and like no one being there you know like the idea being it's just us and I even think the way they exchange their vows was like so quiet and so intimate and so not big wedding-esque yet there were so many people there like she wanted something small and just the two of them right and like he his family you know they it's it's tradition it's you know art imitates life you know yeah people get um strong-armed into doing things that they don't necessarily want to do but then it's that magical moment of It feels like just the two of them, even though they're in a crowd of a bunch of people. I will say they worked the movie magic with it, the soundtrack, everything they did with it. You're like, oh, this is so nice and wonderful. (laughs) Speaking of soundtrack, the most famous thing I feel like to come out of this was Christina Perry's A Thousand Years. Still today, people use that song. Yeah. Yet... It's not actually part of the wedding montage in the movie. Right. It's actually in the final credits, not in the wedding itself. That's so interesting. It really made a mark on people. Yeah. It's like, what do they call that? It's like some sort of effect where you just like associate it together, even though it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I guess it's because of the lyrics. Like the lyrics work so perfectly with their wedding specifically. But there's so many versions of it, like instrumental versions and just, it's such a popular song. And I was so expecting her to walk down. I, like, I thought I could remember her walking down the aisle to it. Yeah. It, it was actually the song Flightless Bird, which, I mean, we could get into the whole, like, like themes and everything involved in Twilight in general. But it's like, this guy is 
thousands of years old and he's marrying a girl who's barely 18 <laughs> like she doesn't like look scared <laughs> she did right that's that was my first thought i'm like she looks terrified walking down that aisle mm-hmm. she, is she terrified of the man or is she is she terrified of all the eyes on her like is it social anxiety is it fear of dying yeah. from her vampire <laughs> husband you know so many questions so many questions but i will say for as scared as her face looked her dress is incredible yes I, and i think we're meant to believe that alice like the vampire sister picked it out and you know led her through it but if you look at her style choices throughout the movie she's wearing like jeans and a plaid sweater all the time like that's it and like I'm, I don't really believe she would have picked this dress by herself, but man, I mean, the long sleeves, like the back, the detailing, it's so beautiful. It's very beautiful. And I'm sure there were tons of like Twilight inspired dresses based on that look. Long sleeves kind of had a moment. I'm trying to think culturally, like what year did this movie come out and like, because Kate Middleton also had the long sleeves. Twenty. The last movie was 2012, but this is the second to last movie, right? Right. Kate and Will got married in 2011. So, like, it's kind of, like, around that same, like, time period, 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, though. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much to love about it because it – it's the fairy tale, like it's the quintessential fairy tale wedding feeling, but on the savvy list, like it, it's not savvy and that's okay. It's a, it's a movie budget. Unlimited, limitless. <laughs> so moral of the story, keep the Twilight wedding on your Pinterest board. Just remember, not a realistic budget to be working with. You can do your best to recreate the look with some twinkle lights in your own backyard to get that fairy tale vibe within your own budget. <laughs> but fair point, fair point. And that concludes our weekly wedding watch. Want to hear us chat about one of your favorite scenes? DM us on Instagram and let us know what we need to watch and chat about on future episodes. You know, I sometimes I feel like a little woo-woo about <laughs> the way I would like go about making these decisions at this point in my life, but like really like sitting with yourself and like feeling into it. Like, and I don't even know how to explain this, but just like close your eyes and like put your hand on your heart and, and ask yourself like, what is going to feel the best? What idea feels the best to me? And, you know, for your partner to do the same. And some of that takes a little bit of like digging into yourself or maybe journaling about it or whatever the case is. But that's sometimes what it takes to make decisions that really feel aligned with what the two of you actually want and that don't end up getting influenced by what you feel pressured to do for the sake of others. I think that was so beautiful. I think that was such an amazing reminder to be sharing with our listeners there's obviously so much more to unpack about each step of planning, but the more that we can encourage everybody to keep putting their hand on their heart and thinking about what it is that like really would serve them and their partner, I think that's, that's the best advice we can give. You've been listening to The Bouquet Toss, a podcast brought to you by The Budget Savvy Bride. We would love for you to join us in our free private community to get support and inspiration from other couples currently planning their weddings too. 
Consider the bouquet tossed in your direction so you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. As always, stay savvy and stay tuned for our next episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dotcom, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dotcom, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.